The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 59. Doctor Who. The Power of the Daleks. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And today we are going to watch the splendour that is Doctor Who, The Power of the Daleks, Patrick Troughton's first story. Now, this doesn't exist. It uh, has been released twice now in a quite a short space of time by the BBC as animations. So that's what we're watching uh, linked up to the original soundtrack. It's one of my favourite Doctor Who's. I know that you're reasonably keen on it. It's one of my favourites, if not my favourite Doctor Who story. Troughton is my favourite Doctor. Ben and Polly are my favourite companion team. This is the only story that, where it was just the three of them before Jamie came along. It's the Daleks being clever, which you, you don't often see. The majority of other Dalek stories, certainly in the classic era, it's Daleks being thugs and monster of the week. But in this, they're subtle and they're manipulative. And I really like the way that that's done. Now, as you say, the the special edition DVD and Blu-ray has come out recently. So what we're going to do as comparison is we're going to have a look at the the first 10 minutes or so of episode one on the original disc. And then we're going to play it back on the special edition and just see if there's a particularly big and noticeable difference. Before we do that, it's time to get out the tonic screwdriver. What have we got for tonight? Tonight we have Bad Fagin's Devon Gin, Microbatch Distilled, Shut Up and Drink Your Gin. Ooh. Um, and shut Up and Drink Your Gin. That's what it says on the, <laughs> that's what it says on the label here. Um, well, we're not going to shut up, but we are going to drink, <laughs> drink the gin. So, actually, the info bollocks on this is quite good. This part of the bottle is reserved for the distiller to write some flowery guff about how they were inspired while navel-gazing to craft an awesome gin. Exeter Distillery was born in 2016 in the bedroom above the Fat Pig Freehouse. Our 70-litre hillbilly still was christened Bad Fagin, and he likes to make gin. Using Dartmoor Spring Water for softness, we have created a citrus-centric orange-forward peppery gin, lemon and orange peel, fresh pink grapefruit and orange zest, juniper, kaffir lime leaves, cardamom, coriander and seville orange blossoms. Extremely fragrant and light, this gin sips well on the rocks and makes a memorable gin tea with a twist of orange, but we like it with a dirty black olive. Sniff it, sip it, mix it, drink it, take a bath in it if you like that kind of thing. Crafted in Gin Geek Heaven. That's the most entertaining yes. info bollocks we've ever had. I really hope that the gin lives up to that. Several million points out of ten for the info bollocks. It's lovely. Oh, that is nice. Isn't it nice? Very, very citrusy. It's citrusy in a an orange peel zest sort of way. There's a lot of grapefruit in that as well. Um, I know you're not keen on grapefruit. But it is, but it's not overpowering. It's... No, it's a, that, this is a really nice mix. I'm going to give that five straight in. I love that. Yeah, it's just got a little, uh, very subtle peppery tones. Mm. You, you can taste them. I'm not really keen on very peppery gins. Not at all. Um, this just gives an extra little bit of spice. Can't taste any cardamom, which is good because cardamom can, can really overpower. This is a really, really nicely blended gin. Um, very citrusy. It is. I mean, very, that's a very citrusy gin. It's got... um Citrusy, refreshing. A slightly sharp aftertaste, but not an unpleasant one. It lingers, but it lingers nicely. Mm. Yeah, this is a five from me as well. So yeah, that is a lovely gin, highly recommended, very well done. 
to the Fat Pig Limited. Well, suitably charged, we will descend into the bowels of Podcasting House and open up the Black Archive. And this time around, I think there's only one thing that we can take out of the Black Archive, which is Power of the Daleks. I think it'd be daft if we didn't both pick the same thing. Yeah, it's... uh, Of all the 60 stories that are missing, it's got to be the one that I'd like to see most. Yes, comfortably, comfortably, top of my list. Um, The two others that would have been in my top three were Tomb and Webb, and they've both been found. And I know Webb episode three is somewhere, but at least we know that it exists somewhere. And this is is the other other one from my all-time top three I would like to see returned. I'm not sure what's replaced them, actually. Well, for me, it's very unlikely I'm ever likely to see it, but Dalek's Master Plan, which I've got a real soft spot for. There's nine episodes of that missing, and one of those is we don't think was ever transferred to film and sold abroad. Having said that, if you think, think about Dalek's Master Plan, 12 episodes, 13 episodes. 13, really, yeah. Realistically. Never sold abroad, never shown anywhere else, and three episodes have been recovered. Yeah. Um, now, there, there was a, a batch of episodes that came back from Australia in the late 70s. And quite a few of the episodes that have wound up in people's film collections are thought to have come from that large batch of episodes. So we know that there were at least three of the Master Plan episodes that were sidelined and ended up in collectors' hands somehow. But Australia didn't just return the three episodes, they returned the whole story. Mm. So it's one where I would say there is a possibility of more things turning up. Unlike something like Power, which had very few copies made, was shown in a tiny handful of countries, and the missing episode archivists are reasonably certain that all um, the copies of Power have been accounted for. But But, as they've said in Wipes, they were reasonably certain that all the copies of several other things had all been accounted for, and they still turned up. All the research that people are doing, and and it's great, but it relies on paperwork from the 60s, one being completed fully and effectively at the time, and organisations like the BBC often have less than complete paperwork records, and relying that all the records from the 60s still exist. There's a, a chunk of guesswork going on in that. I would lo- I would love to believe that power exists out there just waiting to be found. Well, there is. Um, it's been confirmed that there are at least six episodes in private hands, as of 2020, that they know exist out there. I don't know whether to assume that one of those is Web 3. You would prefer to think that it's a whole story. So we can hope. The other two in my wish list of three. I'd love to see the rest of the Moonbase. This is a good story. I think I'd probably air towards a heart and all. I've always had a soft spot for Marco Polo. I really would like to see that. Listen to the audio. Mythmakers is fantastic. Well, I was going to say, at the other end of the Hartnell run, you've got the Massacre which and the Smugglers. The Smugglers is one of those little overlooked... I think it would be a classic if it turned up. Yes. It's um, very piratey and Cornish, and it's really well done. Yeah, um, I mean, you can't beat a touch of the Daphne du Maurier's. So anyway, yes, so uh, with Power of the Daleks fully restored and us gushing wildly about oh, everything... Shall we go back to the viewing room, or do you want to say anything else? Any episode recovery would be lovely. We shall hope. So without further ado, Ron VT on episode one of Power of the Daleks. Right, so we've just watched about the first ten minutes of the original animation, and now we're going to compare it with the special edition. Now, unfortunately, Special Edition is only in black and white, and I 
I normally watch the colour one yeah. of the original because why would you not? And now doing the regeneration sequence. Now they, there's a, a difference in the shadows in the console room. There is, and the animation's a lot smoother, I'll give you that. But if I'm honest... Is it a lot smoother? I mean, it is smoother, but... I'm not convinced that it was... Uh, well, what are we, a minute in... I am yet to be convinced that this was a very necessary release three years after the original. Uh, the, the lack of a colour version has semi-pissed me off. It's been said in an interview somewhere, and I can't remember who by, uh, one of the people who were responsible for, for making this, that a colour, this isn't a story that needed a colour version. It was, it was a very black and white story. I disagree. If you're going to have a range, you want them uniform and standardised. It's a better rendering of Ben's face. He was a bit bow selector <coughs> on the, the previous one. Um, Polly's almost exactly the same, but she was pretty well done in the, yeah. in the first one. Don't get me wrong, the, the animation is it's lovely and it is an improvement, but to be honest, I, I don't think it's enough of an improvement to have warranted this. The backgrounds are much better done. Shout and got grey highlights now no he had in the previous one hey where was the hood thing he took his hood down and smirked the animation is smoother and it's more consistent on Troughton's face Ben's face is still a little bit inconsistent yeah, it is. isn't it his face has changed he doesn't even act like it where's reappeared from oh the, the, he picked it up out of the um, uh-huh. you did see him pick it, pick it up as the first thing that came out of the crate and there's sort of more detailing around the around the mirror it's it is an improvement I'm not sure it's enough of an improvement like you say to, to justify another release space helmet for a cow Mercury Mercury so little details like stuff inside the chest mm. we didn't get to see in the last one but. and Troughton looks a little less black eyed oh, yes he did look like he needed about a week's sleep that's one bit that I've always found curious about this, the ring, that it, it's too big for Troughton. You would have thought that it would have been the other way around. Oh, no, what they were showing there is that it was too tight to get across the second knuckle. Oh, right. So it didn't go all the way onto the finger and then fall off. Very different, Doctor Ben. Yeah, maybe. Just where do we stand, though? So the stovepipe. Ha- when does that disappear? Because he's got it in this, he's got it in the Highlanders, I think. I don't think he has it after that. Because after that, it's underwater menace. I think it ran for a couple of stories, I'm yeah. fairly sure. Certainly by the time you get into the underwater menace, they're, they're making comments about how much he likes hats. Mm. I'm actually quite glad it... it oh, yes, it's a, it's a very it's silly hat. Stupid. And actually kind of like students on a night out picking up traffic, traffic cones. It does look like a bashed about traffic cone, I'm afraid, doesn't it? Not entirely sure what he's supposed to be doing with that tape measure. He's measuring the rock to see if he can, how big it is to jump over. It's an interesting thing, interesting way that he's not measuring the whole thing. The overlaid vapour effect is very nice, mm. isn't it? I'm still slightly annoyed about that. This wouldn't benefit from being colour. I just, I don't hold with that at all. Okay, you have stories that will really benefit from being in colour, so the the historical ones. But that doesn't mean that other ones wouldn't look better from it as well. Well, it's more the fact they've got a lovely opportunity here to have a, um, a, a nice uniform set of animations. 
Because wasn't um, the original Blu-ray, the Steelbook, wasn't that four discs? Yes. And is this it? is three, isn't it? Yes. It does sound like we're picking the most nitpicky holes in it, but it just seems like a big bloody gap. It's, it seems an in... If you're going to do something special edition, you then, want it as complete as possible, really. Yeah. And if you can't afford to do a, a colour version, wait until you can. No one was begging for this. No, I mean... I mean, I, I love Power of the Daleks as a, as a story, but if it was a choice between this and Underwater Menace... Or... Oh, another story, yeah. yeah. We've already got it. And it was perfectly well done the first time. The one thing I will say, the list of special features is fairly impressive. Yeah. I know you're not wildly I'm not wildly fond interested of, in yeah. special features, so... Comic Opera Guards. It's Marcus Scarman. It is, yeah. Who I've always thought mm. in this has a touch of the cushions about him. Oh, Peter Cushing. Because mm. I was just thinking he doesn't look anything like somebody with Cushing syndrome. Okay, you've got me there. What's Cushing syndrome? That's where you take too much steroids. Right. And there, there are very, very characteristic physical appearances, one of which is a, a roundening of the face, which you couldn't say he has. No, I think that's a long way. That's not a nice shot of the colony. Mm. Um, the backgrounds do look more polished and realistic. Some of the shots they've done and the angles they've taken are, in this new version, they're a very 2020 way of presenting something. They never would have had those shots in the 60s. But as we've said before, mm. with the animations, it's not the real thing. So why not have a bit of artistic license? Yeah, absolutely. On the other hand, you've got things like when they did the Macro Terror, where they were big, elaborate backgrounds that you wouldn't have got in the in the real story, but they were still with a very 60s aesthetic to them. Yes. The Macro themselves, and there were oh, dozens of them scuffling about. Yeah. That never would have happened. The animation for Leston's face has improved. Facially, a lot of the animation has improved. Again, Janling was always pretty good, but Lesterton was a bit inconsistent. I can't say that I was ever intimately familiar with the anime. I mean, it's only been out a couple of years. I know you will have, have watched and scrutinised this a little more than I have, but... I haven't really scrutinised I mean, I've watched it a fair bit, and I... I, I watched the colour one, because if you've got the choice of the two, why wouldn't why you? Why wouldn't you? I mean, having said that, there are some some stories that are quite atmospheric in black and white. Have you ever watched any like Pyramids of Mars in black and white? No. Oh, I know that there's sort of a, a little corner of the internet that likes to do that and bleed out the colour. No, I haven't. That must make it very sort of Saturday afternoon hammer horror. F- yeah, uh, <clears throat> it does. Whereas futuristic things like this really benefit from the colour. Warrior's Gate works very well in black and white. Well, it's practically all white to start with. Yes, I imagine it does. That's, that's not something I've ever tried. You've, hmm. I'm not, I'm not actually sure how to do it on my telly at the minute. I mean, it used to be you just turned down the, the colour. The colour. Oh, there's Hensel, who has always reminded me of Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I, I must stress... Colonel Sanders in the telly snaps in the animation he does look a little bit more uh, coloured in. We are wearing proper clothes. It's the pain in his voice here. Are wearing proper clothes. Well, they never took it away from him, did they? The recorder. No, didn't Ben snatch it off him? 
Teddy Roosevelt, he was the terrible manners. I love how snippy Ben is. And as a, a companion, it's far more interesting than Yes Doctor, Yes Doctor. Yes. And certainly in, in this episode, he's playing devil's advocate, mm. advocate to Polly's trusting, trusting, believing what's happening. And it's a real world scheme of things. All the publicity, you knew that this was the new Doctor. But actually, Ben's attitude's a bit more realistic. Well, it is. Especially seeing as they don't don't know about regeneration and it, it's an interesting parallel to the bit in Mordrin Undead where Mordrin first comes into the TARDIS and Nyssa and Tegan who've both seen regeneration are wondering whether he's regenerated mm. again I think the only one where because if if you suddenly woke up and I had a completely different face that would just change our dynamic completely mm. and um, on screen because they have to they always sort of Oh, really? Oh, well, I'll accept it then within about an episode's time. Mm. The only one in the sort of new Who that's been like, I can't handle this, is Clara. At the end of Deep Breath, I can't do this, it's too weird sort of thing. I'm, I'm going to, I want to go home. Uh, and he's crestfallen. But if your best mate suddenly looks, acts, sounds completely different, so it's got to be a bit of a jolt to the system. But why they got rid of Ben and Polly in favour of crowding the TARDIS with Jamie, I do not know. So before, Jamie's a great companion, bounces off Troughton's Doctor perfectly, but yeah. Ben and Polly were just... They were of the time, they were the 60s, you know, the beautiful people, but they were real-world people. I think you've said before that Polly represented the shift from granddaughter to woman. Yeah, so it was a sort of combining of the roles of Barbara and Susan. Mm. I mean, after Barbara, you didn't have an adult woman as companion until Polly came along. And you didn't have one that argued back in quite the same way until this show, really. Zoe had an element of it, but she was more proactive. Uh, Zoe, Zoe didn't really argue. She was just superior at times. Yes. Which worked very well. And things like that learning machine thing in the Crotons, mm. that worked brilliantly. And actually, was there anybody who argued back to him the way that Barbara did... The whole end of Edge of Destruction, you stupid old man, you, you should be down on your knees thanking us, but gratitude's the last thing you, that you'll have. Was there anybody who argued like that until Donna? Tegan. There's a bit in, uh, I think, The Visitation, where she really rounds on him about... Oh, the broken clock keeps um, yeah. better time than you, at least it's right twice a day. Um, and again, in, I think it's Time Flight, where she's, you know, you're quite happy to change time when it suits you sort of thing. Fair enough, but that that kind of challenging companion. Barbara did it better than any others. I think the Edge of Destruction one, that's actually the, the, a very, very good example because she really bollocks him. Yeah, but at that at that point, there were really three series leads, mm. which is the Doctor, Ian and Barbara. Now, after Ian and Barbara leave, the companion is always in a, a secondary role. Yes, I mean, Stephen, I thought, was great. Uh, again, at the end of the massacre, he rounds on him and flounces out um, because of Anne Chaplet. I, mean, I appreciate it's probably difficult to do, but those cobwebs don't look very good, do they? Well, they've been CG'd on. They're not... Uh... A bit better on that, but they still look a bit stringy. Yeah. And they are getting the, the atmosphere of the story across. Why are there spiders' webs in there? Oh, that was nice, the, mm. the scrabbly mutanty thing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've never thought of that before. Why did Daleks have spiders on board their um, They must have spaceship? picked up spiders somewhere. 
I, I keep a clean house, and yet they still get in. Yes, but your house isn't buried in Mercury Swamp. I don't think it was full of mercury, though. The capsule was just buried and sealed, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway. So, it's there for enough time for the... for the Daleks to shut down. But there are still spiders running around. And what do they eat? Because the Daleks don't have... food on board, so... Maybe the two two hundred year old spiders' webs. Have we done enough on spiders? <laughs> I've never thought of that before, but it—it's kind of a. This is an age, uh, an aging thing, um, and it demonstrates that something's been there for a long time. But actually, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense that spiders would be there in the first place. Well, there's a, a thought with which to conjure. As a first episode, brilliant. I've always thought that this is uh, one of the best Dalek stories, if not, and certainly one of the best stories. Yeah, I agree with both of those. Uh, certainly in the classic era, there isn't a better Dalek story. Remembrance is pretty good. Yeah, Genesis um, is good. And Genesis um, is the, good. The original is good. The um, Dalek Invasion Earth is good. I know, but they, I mean, they are good. And Dave they were, the Daleks is good. But of the ones that I think there's this and Remembrance are the two that I've seen most. I can just watch them and watch them and I never get bored. I love Planet, but it is very much a Terry Nation mm. greatest hit. Well, uh, what did Terence Dix say? Um, it's a great story, Terry, but you've sold us this twice already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this tops all of them. I've never been, I've never been a massive fan of Evil. Evil's just a bit patchy because there's all that stuff in the 60s with the, the stolen TARDIS and then you go back to the Victorian era and then you end up on Scaro. You know, if it was just the TARDIS lands in Victorian England and you don't have any of the stolen TARDIS from the end of, at the end of the, the Faceless Ones and maybe they just needed to fill an extra uh, episode. There's a lot of padding, actually. If you go back and look at Evil, who's the guy that um, Jamie has a fight with? That goes on for about half an episode. Yes, with the whole testing thing. Um, I can't remember the character's name. I can't. And there's the Dalek-controlled boyfriend of is it Ruth Maxtable. Yes. Doesn't well, really add anything to the to the plot because they don't need a, a control agent there because the Daleks are actually in the house mm. and, uh, and are in control. So yeah, that doesn't that doesn't add a huge amount to the to the plot and the maid character's a bit unnecessary and it could all be tightened. You could lose the whole of the sixties stuff. Once they get to Scaro, absolutely fantastic. Now that's seven episodes, which is quite a... It's a long time. Uh, now the uh, the Pertwee stuff, Inferno, I think. I know you're, you think it, it does get a bit flabby in the middle, but Inferno doesn't drag for me. Silurians doesn't really drag. Ambassadors it, it didn't really grab me, if I'm honest. Yeah. But with all of them, you watch them the way they were intended to be watched, mm-hmm. an episode at a time or a couple of episodes at a time, and they're, they're absolutely fine. You try and watch all of Inferno and bouncing backwards and forwards between the alternate world gets very samey. Mm. Silurians doesn't because, and for all I've just criticised Evil for bouncing between different mm. places, Silurians does that as well. Yeah, it does. With um, and you have that extra plague bit that doesn't really need to be there. Mm. But it works very well. Maybe it's just none of the 60s stuff for Evil of the Daleks is actually particularly interesting. Well, that's the problem, really. For six episodes, this... It bounces along. If you I mean if you really pick this apart, you could condense it down a bit. 
But there's not an ounce of material in this that feels you're just padding this out now. Yeah. And actually, there was, there was quite a bit taken out of the original plot because there was, there, was, there was a whole set of scenes set in the colony's medical bay and the, the colony doctor was there. And if, if you read the John Peel novelization, mm. all of those are in that. I've, it's one that I've had for years and never read. It's, it's good. Mm. You call yourself a fan. I know, I know. I've got all the new adventures. I've not read half of them yet. Yeah, you're not missing out. I don't think I am. That's. I think that's partly why. But they look good on the shelf. So, as with all Doctor Who's, we will do commentaries on the first and last episode. We will watch episodes two to five and be back with a summary. Okay, so during episodes two to five... There are really two major plot strands going on. There's the uh, the plot with the the Daleks, and Esteban brings one of the Daleks back to life. It kills one of his research assistants, and because they see that the that the Dalek has fired a gun, he removes the gun, so disarms the Dalek. And the Dalek, rather than relying on brute force, goes to uh, being scheming and subtle, offers to help the colony. The Dalek's power is very depleted and the power of the capsule is, is very depleted. So it's reliant on the, the colonists for providing it with power. And as far as the colonists are aware, there are only three of the Daleks, the three that they found in the, um, the capsule. And they promise to make a meteorite tracking system. So they get a lot of raw materials from the, the, the colonists. And with these raw materials, they are building more and more Daleks. And by the time you get into the end of episode five, the Daleks have got all the power that they need, got the raw materials that they they need. There is a surviving sequence where it shows the Daleks on a conveyor belt recreating themselves. There's a second um, plot strand with the political struggles within the uh, colony. There is a group of rebels. Um, Janley is one of them. And it turns out that those are being run by Bregan as a way of taking control of the colony over from Hensel to get their way and to influence the Doctor, who they still think is the examiner. At one point, they kidnap Ben and then they kidnap Polly. The end of episode five, leading into the, the big finale, is the Daleks chanting Daleks conquer and destroy, and they're about to go out and attack the colonists. And again, that little bit of footage survives and is very effective. So without further ado, Run BT on episode six. I know that you're, we've said before, you're not mad keen on the special features, but I know that um, Mike Tucker is recreating the uh, Dalek production line sequence for this re-release. Not entirely sure... Why? But it'd be interesting to see. Orders received! Exterminate all humans! Exterminate all humans! Exterminate! Annihilate! Destroy! Daleks conquer and destroy! Daleks. So I've got to give them the juice. The animation's very smooth on the world, it was. And they've, they've done a very faithful reanimation there from the surviving footage. This looks really good. Yeah, it does. It, 
Yeah, so this is where they're getting to see that all the Dalek scheming has paid off. Oh, Bregan has a shiny new uniform. <laughs> he looks very SS. It's quite nice that they have this whole political thing going on with him controlling the rebels and trying to take over the, the colony. And it just is completely irrelevant because they're all about to be wiped yeah, out. Yes, this is... Half of the plot is just about to become pointless. Valmar is another one who looks like he could do with a bit of kip. I can't actually remember what he looked like in the real thing because he's not in any of the surviving footage. Is, is, he's not in this footage, but there's, there's telesnaps yeah, on Because yeah. yeah. Resno, which I didn't realise at the time, he killed off way, way back in episode two. Um, but he was Edward Kelsey. Oh, um, from The Archers. Yes. People of Balkan, I have to announce that Governor Hensel has been murdered by the rebels. I have taken control temporarily until order is restored. It's a very compelling performance, isn't it? Well, we're sat here barely saying a word yeah. to animation. That's how good the story is and the performances are. Quinn always seemed a little bit of a pointless character. He doesn't really do very much. Mm. Um, I know he's the, he's the one that asked for the, um, the examiner to come along. There are a lot of characters in the story. You could probably trim a couple out. Valmar is not a... He's only really a, a minion. Well, he, he does have a, a bit more to do, because he's, he's the electrician, isn't he? Hmm. Bye-bye, Bregan. Oh, no, it's not Bregan. That wasn't Bregan, that was oh. Kevl. He was one of the other rebels. Jan Lee is a very good character. She yeah. is, and... Um, and again, it comes back to what, what we've always tend to say about their... There have been some really good, strong female characters throughout Doctor Who history, and, and she's one. Well, I think half of that comes from, I can't remember, it's Pamela, oh, I can't remember her name, who Anna plays... Davey. Yes, that's it. She's not only a very good actress, but she's a very beautiful one. Mm. So her role in this story is to basically manipulate the men with her, her, her sexuality. And uh, you can see them all, with the exception of, I think, Bregan. Bregan couldn't give a shit. They're all just fawning around her, doing everything she says. Um, and Leston, that her manipulation of him is blackmail. Yeah. The, and... um, we'll show what's going going on. We'll bring Resno's body out. So the Daleks were saying, destroy all humans. And... That's Kebble again. Yeah. It's a testament to the writing and the direction and mm. the performances that the Daleks are as menacing in this as they've ever been. There's a genuine threat there. In a lot of stories, they were just mobile tanks. Yeah. And they, they try doing that... To start with, and then they need stuff from the colonists, mm. so they, um, colonists and rebels are still killing each other while there's the Daleks wandering about in the, in the background. But yeah, the, the Daleks try force, then go to subtlety. The start of the episode is destroy all humans. So why are they not killing Janley and Valmar at this point? Ah, that answers that question. And Lesterson is a fantastic portrayal of somebody who's... Well, descending into paranoid madness. You must be absolutely quiet. They know everything that's going on. Everything. They even know what you're thinking. Yes. Yeah. Kind of reminds me a little of um, the way Poole goes in Robert's in Death. In Robert's Death. Robophobia. Grimwig syndrome. But halfway through the story, mm. there's that there's that moment of realization that he's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. This this may have got a little out of hand, and it's my fault. 
I think half of the the reason this story is so good, they are real characters. Yes. I think Bregan's a little bit, uh, he's probably the most pantomime of them, but he has to be for the purposes of the story. But all the others, they, they behave and talk in a very naturalistic way. Yeah, and... Uh, Absolutely, with Hensel and with Quinn as well. And for all I said mm. that he he doesn't really do an awful lot, and, and he doesn't. What he does is believable. Game over, Janley. Game over. Yeah, and again, Janley's a great character and goes down fighting. Mm. Why did you go down in the first place? I could control it, you said. And then Janley got one of her men... Yeah, so right from the word go, while they, the rebels and the colonists and all of that think they're manipulating the Daleks, overall the Daleks are doing the manipulation. Mm. And nobody's believing the, the Doctor because they've all got their own agendas and all they can see is this is a useful tool. And then in this episode, it all comes back to bite them. Ooh, a little narrowing of the eye there from the dark. <laughs> the shadows are nicely done. I like the... Um, the negative effect. Yeah, the way they're still keeping yeah. that. And the eye stalk effect as mm. well. For anyone listening who doesn't know, Dalek extermination effects, I think, into the Pertwee era. Well, Genesis as well. No, they had rays in Genesis by that point. I'm sure there's still negative effects. Oh, they did negative effect it, but I don't think it was... uh, I think it was the rays were added, whereas up until that point it had just been gone on negative effects. And those early Daleks had eyeballs that the pupils expanded and dilated, and they lit up. In most of the subsequent stories, the the eyeball was just a a black ball with a white circle painted on it. Episode 6 is a colossal bloodbath. I'm always quite surprised every time I either watch or listen to it. The thing, if you look at the um, the extras, because we're at the bit where they're panning across all the um, dead bodies of the extras and ending up with Janely's body. For a science fiction story, there are an awful lot of female extras. Yeah, well, Normally, it is supposed to be sort of a, a, a colony, colony yeah. yeah, rather than a scientific base. But even with that, it still tends to be a lot of fellas. True, true. Now, I've never been entirely sure about this. It's coming up, but there is uh, a baby heard to scream in this. Because these were recorded... These are domestic recordings, by the way. The the audio soundtracks for these, for those that don't know, were recorded by people on reel-to-reel cassette players Mm. so they could listen back to the audio at home before video recorders, DVD players. I'm not convinced that that baby is nothing to do with the soundtrack and it's actually somebody at home but they've got more than one domestic recording. And also, in one of the telly snaps, you see somebody holding a baby. Ah, right. Okay, I've not seen that one. The, the backgrounds to this really are very mm. nice. Ben's height is quite variable. Yeah, it is! <laughs> and you see, again, this goes back to the very early Dalek stories where they're um, powered by static. Reliance on static power. Which kind of got forgotten about after Dalek Invasion Earth, didn't it? Yeah, because it's never referenced in... I'm not getting any other story apart from this. I gave you life. Yes, you gave us life. Poor Lester, son. Oh, the Doctor's lost his check trousers in this version. 
That's a nice explosion mm. effect. Less convinced about those little puffs of smoke. You see, oh yeah, um, and that mother and baby is definitely there on one of the um, on one of the telly snaps. So why doesn't that one have little bits of smoke coming out of it? They're crashing into each other was nice, and they again the ice stalk effect, the destruction of the um, production line looks really good. Mm. Although the, that smoke effect wasn't good. The sound restoration on this is incredible. And the examiner was successful after all. Your day is over, Brayden. No one will obey you now. I'm still the governor, and you are... He's still trying to do the whole I want to be in charge thing. You're all right. It is absolutely compelling. But have you any idea of the damage you've done to the colony? Our power supply has been destroyed. It's been months before we can get things back to normal. Well, ma'am. Yes. Thanks for saving us, uh, but... Yes, whiny little git. Hang on a minute. What? The one bit of colour in the whole thing. Look at the uh, dialect rings. The blue. Oh, yes. Again, nice background. Mm. And the, the mist effect here works very well. So why is there a Dalek outside when there were... It was, the whole point is that it was dependent on the colony power supply. Because they said at the end they'd stored static power and they were starting to be able to store it so they didn't need the electrical system anymore. But they were still connected to the electrical system. That's how it got destroyed. So if it's outside the colony, how come that one is destroyed? Okay, yes. Because um, it might have its stored static power. But for that sort of feedback effect to, to destroy it, it would have to be connected to the power system of the colony. The two fairly minor plot niggles we've managed in six episodes of 1960s science fiction. Yes, that's true. Um, why were there spiders and why was there a Dalek outside? <laughs> if that's the worst we can level at this, we've leveled worse things. 21st century Doctor Who. In fact, within the past 12 months, Doctor Who. Massive, great, whacking scientific plot holes. It never gets old, this story. No. Never. Um, I mean, for all the animation is a, is a bit better in this, I, I think next time I watch it, I'm going to watch the killer one. Um, because I would prefer to have slightly worse animation and colour. It's a very woolly reason that it, it looks better in black and white, so we've not bothered doing it in colour. The same could be said of all the others that they're doing. They were originally in black and white. They were never meant to be seen in colour. Mm. So why are you doing colour animation? I, I, it's, yeah. it's a glaring omission. Sorry, guys. I, I really like to be uniformly gushing about this because it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it, it's a bit like the argument that the refreshing department scene in the Macro Terror doesn't add anything to the story. It doesn't stop it being good. Mm. I really enjoyed that. Um, I've always enjoyed Power of the Daleks. It is one of my favourite, favourite classic Who stories. I'm glad that we have animation because it gives it a, a new level to um, 
to watch on. I, I quite like the telesnap reconstruction as well. I've always been fond of the, the telesnaps. It's a very sort of 90s and noughties way of watching lost episodes, which I think those days are gone now. But the Loose Cannon, and I think Joint Venture, they were another one that, that used to... Uh, you could send away, send your VHS tapes off and they'd give you, they'd do dubs of the... Oh, only if you knew the right people. If you knew the right people. Yeah. And... See, again, never particularly engaged with fandom. Apart, was, apart from the Liverpool group, but that, that was quite a bit later. Well, Loose Cannon, you could just send off. There was a list of, of dub sites you could send to. John Harkett was the one that I always used. Um, but you were getting the real thing. All right, it was only one picture every 15 seconds, but it was the real thing. Yeah. And they made a real effort to make them as as episodic as possible. Yeah, the, the other thing is, I, I think the first one that I saw was Mission to the Unknown. Oh, not a good example to start with. Well, yeah, exactly. And th- that was back before they'd discovered they'd, um, the cache of telesnaps that they did. Were there telesnaps for Mission to the Unknown? I thought there was no, no, a production no. uh, still. No, but what, um, oh, I see what, what you mean. Is that right. The, right. The ones that we tend to think of as the telesnap recon- mm. reconstructions. Weren't there two big books of them found in the, the BBC written yes. archive? And they covered later Hartnell and um, Mid Troughton. Yes. Because I don't think they they cover season six. I think he, I think Cura had stopped doing telesnaps by then. So that I don't think there are telesnaps for the invasion. I don't think there are telesnaps for Space Pirates. Could be wrong about that, but I don't think they are. My recollection is that it's somewhere in season five that the telesnaps stop. Mm. The whole chapter on it in Missing Believe Wiped, which I've got to give another plug to that book. Missing Believe Wiped is a massive book by Richard Molesworth covering Doctor Who's lost episodes. Or it's really, it's um, a journey through BBC Doctor Who production and television production of the time. It's a fascinating read. Yeah. And John Cura, the guy who did the telesnaps, it's basically the only alternative to video recording, yeah. wasn't it? And actors in particular shows would ask for copies of the telesnaps. It tended to be directors rather than the actors, but the actors could buy them. Because mm. um, I think well, there's one episode of Marco Polo uh, that Warris Hussain didn't direct, and that I don't think has got telesnaps. But basically, it was his business. He sold them to mm. whoever wanted them. Um, once he got better known, he um, he had contracts with different BBC production offices. So that's why the BBC had books of telesnaps for some of the later series. But John Wiles couldn't see the value in them, so mm. that's why there are no telesnaps for for his shows the massacre i'd love to see the massacre it's a great story it really shows that the doddery doctor was a character that was being played Mm. at that time now as william hartnell got more unwell if you listen to the different performances that he puts in as the doctor and as the abbot it's very clear that the doddering is part of the character now okay he made fluffs in his lines and that in part will be the fact that he was the star of the show, had the majority of the lines to learn every week. Mm. Um, and he will just have dried a little bit every so often. So yes, there's a lot of reasons why it's a, it's a shame that we can't see the massacre. Um, the other thing I was going to say about John Cura is that when he died, his widow offered all of his whole tele, telesnap archive to the BBC and they turned her down and said that we're, we're interested in the future, not the past. And so she burned them all. Yeah. And apparently they're dated back to the the 1940s. There may well have been... Quite a mass. Time machine, I was thinking, for the 1940s. Oh, for the, was, it, was it late 40s or late 50s? No, late 40s. late 40s. I think BBC television only ran for, what, four years in the 1940s? Because it wasn't on during the war. Mm. 
And I think that's the only science fiction thing that they did in the 1940s. We have covered this for the Black Archive at some point. Yeah. So we're veering off topic a little bit. We are a little bit. But uh, as we sit here in September 2020, we're getting, at the moment, two animations a year. They must take some doing, because we've got... Well, Fury's imminent, and we've already had Macro. Fury's this month. We had this year. Faceless ones we had this year. Yeah. And is it officially announced that the next two are Abominable and... And Wheel in Space. Not officially, but um, the rumour mills aren't usually a million miles wrong with these things. It would make sense since they've already started on Wheel. Wasn't it announced in one of the newspapers? It was announced in the Mirror. Yeah. Make of that what you will. But it does seem a very random thing for... Uh, a red top to report but then again this is the same paper that god knows how many years ago said that somebody had recorded all seven episodes of marco polo with a cine camera and it was about oh yes now bear in mind that reels of cine film domestic were four minutes long and furiously expensive so uh a seven-parter. Which is why we only get tiny, tiny little eight-millimeter mm. snippets. I still say we are extremely lucky. For all that will lament, all these missing episodes, we have the audio for all of them. And yeah. we've got Te- a dedicated for uh, a huge number. Lots of very well-archived clips. The other programmes just did not get this level of attention. Yeah. Then other pro- programmes don't really have this level of fandom either. True. Or this level of history. Which certain producers may choose to rip up from time to time. <clears throat> and reining it back to... But Power of, power of the Daleks. When Dal- uh, power of the Daleks. It's up there. It's in my top three of all time. I love it. Yep, I'm with you on that one. Uh, we would urge you to go out and buy at least one of the available animations that are there. For me, it would be the earlier release. The The animation isn't quite as smooth, but you get colour. Mm, I'd probably have to go with that. They're making all this effort to put them out in colour and do them in widescreen and make them all uniformly presented. It does seem a bit of a misstep on this occasion. But on that note, we shall sign off. Thank you very much for listening. We shall be back next time with something equally whimsical. Goodbye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rishton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.